the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was about 15 years ago that a man who had just read the first in a series of books entitled Left Behind called me on the phone and with uh, urgency suggested that we have some adult classes right away on the church's understanding of the rapture that is a fundamentalist perspective in which true believers at Christ's second coming are taken immediately into heaven while others are left behind to live in a, in a broken and sinful world. I'm not sure why I took this series of books, Left Behind, written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, to create such interest and in many cases angst about what's going to be happening, what will happen when Jesus comes again, when all that we can possibly know about that great event has been described in the Bible for over 2,000 years. Left Behind series is actually written from what we call a pre-millennialist fundamental perspective that most mainlined Catholic and Protestant churches do not hold. Nevertheless, if it helped people get interested in Jesus' second coming, and what's going to be happening uh, in the day that he comes, then I suppose the church should be thankful. In the sermon, I want to talk about what Jesus himself had to say about the world at the time of his coming and what you and I can do to be ready. And I'm going to pull from a couple of intriguing verses from today's reading in Matthew, where the Lord said, In those days before the flood, speaking of his coming again, people were, excuse me, not so. The Lord said, in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And here we go. At that time, two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left behind. Allah, Tim LaHaye, and Jerry Jenkins. And two women will be grinding at the mill. One is taken and one is left behind. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now this is significant. Jesus describing uh, the condition of the world at his second coming goes all the way back to the very dawn of history in the days before the flood. What will men and women be doing? Well, according to this, they'll be doing basically the same thing that they've been doing ever since. Eating and drinking, uh, that simply indicates life as usual. There's nothing sinful in in these things in and of themselves. Same with marrying, giving in marriage, and grinding at the mill. Or in our days, we would say knitting sweaters for, for for the grandbabies. What we're talking about is men and women doing very basic human pursuits. And of course, we know that at the time of Noah, the world was a dreadfully sinful place, which is why God sent the flood to cleanse it in the first place. And according to Jesus, not much has changed. What he said about the people before the flood can with accuracy be said of men and women of today. Noah, of course, feared the Lord, and he warned the people that the flood of judgment was coming. Anyone could have gone inside the ark. He preached to the people. He begged the people uh, for their own good. But the people, 
And among them surely was upper class, lower class, and middle class. And we may be sure that some of them were zealous about their religion and, and high morals and well thought of in society. They laughed at him and they made jokes at him. Probably said that he was just a fundamentalist evangelical. And they chalked up his anxiety to superstition, credulity, and folly. The rest, as they say, is history. The flood came. Did it ever. The deluge was universal. And in chapter 7, concerning the flood, it is written, And they that entered the ark, male and female, went in as God has commanded Noah, and God shut Noah in. It's interesting there that he didn't tell Noah to build the ark, and when you get through building it, go inside Noah and close the door and lock it. No, it says that God shut him in. You can notice that Adam was put in the Garden of Eden, but Noah was shut in by God and perfectly preserved from all evil until the day when he would see a new world. Know this, that whatever God opens, no man closes. And whatever God closes... No man opens. What a profound thing to think about. Either you're inside the ark or you are outside the ark. All inside the ark were saved, not because of who they were, but because of where they were. And all on the outside were flushed away. And Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you see the profound significance of Jesus' words? Because here's the bottom line. Christ will come again. That's a promise. Like a thief in the night, he will come at a time that you cannot expect. And when he does, he will gather his flock. As he said, two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left behind. Two women will be making, will be knitting sweaters for the grandbabies. One is taken And one is left behind. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour when the Lord is coming. And so I'm a little bit like the jailer uh, in Acts 16 where he cried out to Paul and Silas, Well then what can I do to be saved? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow door. So what must we do? Enter through the narrow door. Get inside the ark of salvation. To quote the old gospel hymn, On Calvary's hill an ark has been built, costing the blood of God's Son. Now all this may be kind of the kind of thing that many Episcopalians aren't too concerned about. The only thing we can say to that is the people in Noah's day didn't seem to be too concerned about it either. Uh, they scoffed at the idea they didn't need to get on board an ark. And when you think about it, what worldly wise man could ever conceive of the idea that God would save the people in the world by the death of his own son? Moreover, all this talk about the end of times may simply be be a little too far-fetched for a lot of us. I mean, yeah, sure, the New Testament authors, they emphasize the the reality of Christ coming uh, again, but... Uh, and for the end of times, but for you and me, it's been almost 2,000 years. And so if this seems a little too far-fetched for us to think about it, then why don't we just consider being prepared as it relates to the hour of our death, which to every one of us is the end of all things. 
and the very hour of the judgment of our souls. Because life can end like a thief in the night. And if you're concerned about being left behind, indeed, if you're concerned about being righteous enough, actually it's not a bad thing if you are, because it just tells you that you aren't going about your daily lives as if it were the be-all and end-all of existence. And remember this, if you are indeed concerned about this, then God has blessed you. He's blessed you by tugging at your heart, and he's beckoning you to enter through the narrow door. As Jesus said very clearly in John's Gospel, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, 9. And keep this in mind. Although inside Noah's ark there were many imperfections, all were saved. And it's the same today. It's not who you are, dear sinner. It's where you are, inside the ark of salvation. And once you are inside, enclosed by God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, what can separate you then from the love of God? To quote St. Paul, nothing. Nothing in life. Nothing even in death. Neither principalities, no thing present, no things to come, no powers, no height, no in depth, but anything else in all creation can make its way through the nooks and crannies of the wall of the Ark of Salvation. So brothers and sisters, this morning we hear from the one who pleased the merit of his own blood and the free gift of salvation. And the truly amazing thing about this, mystery of all mysteries, is once you enter the ark, you will see that your name was written by the place prepared for you, even before you were in your mother's room, indeed, even before the foundation of the world. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this. For Jesus' sake, amen.